0: My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here at Park Community Church, and I'm so glad to have you join us this morning as we live stream the third Sunday of our Advent series as we're looking at the words of Advent, the four words of Advent. So far we've covered hope, peace. Today we're discussing joy. The Bible Project did a great job of defining joy for us. They summarized it as an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstance, but because of our hope in God's love and promise. And what a good reminder for us in this season that joy is an attitude that we adopt, that we take on, that we fight for, that, that, that we're given and that we work to hold, not because of what's going on in our lives and around us. I can't, I, I don't know about you, uh, but this is probably one of the, uh, if I'm speaking in natural terms, not supernatural terms, but natural terms, one of the most joyless Advent seasons of my life. The truth is, honestly, Advent is one of my favorite times of year. Um, Growing up in the church, I loved the songs, I loved the fellowship, we had potlucks, we had different Advent series, I remember. I'm I'm not an actor at all, but I starred in a play one year when I was a kid, like many kids do, and I just loved the season of different activities with the church. And this season, when we're not even gathering, it's, it's, uh, it's hard for me to experience the joy that for me naturally comes along with this season and oftentimes supernaturally spurred on by gathering with other Christians and being around other Christians and singing the incredible Christmas carols that have such deep theological truth and meaning. It's my favorite time of year to sing. It's my favorite time of year to preach with people. It's not my favorite thing to sing without people and to preach to a screen. And so I'm fighting for joy this season, and I'm glad that we can do that together as a community, even if, even if we are spread out virtually. And so, a reminder here the Bible Project uh, defines joy as an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of our happy circumstance, but because of our hope in God's love and promise. Today, what I want to do is look at three different pieces of joy. I want to look at the foundation of joy, the function of joy, and then what does it mean for us to fight. For joy. What does the fight for joy look like? And so, Um, We're going to be in a couple different passages this morning. Make sure you get a Bible, have it with you. Uh, Pull it up online or grab your old-fashioned paper Bible and have that with you because I want you to see God's words about joy more so than listening to my, uh, what I have to say about joy because honestly, like I already said, I don't have a ton to say about joy, but God's word does. And so that's where we're rooted and we're going to find our foundation in God's word. And so let's start with foundation, the foundation of joy. The foundation of joy is... The gift of God's favor, which makes rejoicing possible in otherwise unfavorable circumstances." The foundation of joy is the gift of God's favor, which makes rejoicing possible in otherwise unfavorable circumstances. This is good news for us this morning because many of us, while we're all living in unfavorable circumstances, I've come to realize recently that that some of the circumstances of my life in this COVID-19 quarantine era has revealed just how privileged I've been most of my life. Many people around the world have been suffering horrific things for their entire life. I mean, refugees have been fleeing to America because they're coming from war-torn countries where they're oppressed, where they're ostracized. There's Christians around the world who are being persecuted and martyred for their faith. And so the unfavorable circumstances that I'm living through as a privileged American are still very small. And so I'm trying to keep that in perspective, but at the same time, realize this is an unfavorable circumstance for us right now that we're living through. This is something new, something different, a new challenge, a new, a new adversity for us to live through. And so what I want us to be reminded of this morning is that the foundation of joy is the gift of God's favor, which makes rejoicing possible in otherwise unfavorable circumstances. Now, now here's what I mean by this. So before we kind of dive into the statement and look at some scriptures that back this up. I want to just help you understand that, that we have these four different words, joy, gift, grace, and rejoice. What we have is four different words and often have four different meanings and totally different contexts. The Bible uses these four words in, with similarity. They all come from the same root word, and so even that statement that the foundation of joy is the gift of God's favor which makes rejoicing possible in otherwise unfavorable circumstances, it's this very repetitive sentence. It's almost like saying the farmer farms his farm or the teacher teaches like a teacher or the parent parents as a parent. It, it's this repetitive thing because there's this idea in scripture that, that joy is a gift from God. This is all interrelated and interconnected. Joy is a gift from God. It's a gift of his favor or his grace. The word grace and favor are, are often come from the same root word, charis, undeserved favor, which is grace. And this produces in us rejoicing. See, what the Bible Project video was getting at and what we need to understand as we talk about joy as Christians is that joy is not just the simple feeling that we have based on the circumstances of which we are living. Joy is something much deeper. it's, It's an attitude, a perspective, and yes, a happiness that we feel in temporary circumstances because we have eternal perspective. It's a gift from God. Joy is a gift from God. It's a gift of his favor. It's a gift of his grace. It's a gift of his undeserved favor, which makes rejoicing possible regardless of what we're walking through. And so I want to look and see how this, um, how, how this is unpacked in the scriptures a little bit. Look at Luke chapter one with me. Luke chapter one, verse 26 through 36. This is a very familiar Christmas passage for us and it, and it really shows us this idea of joy. Joy as a as a gift of God's favor. And so Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Heard of her? The virgin Mary. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. Greetings, the recipient of God's grace. Greetings, one who is receiving undeserved favor from God. See, the reality of the Virgin Mary is that Mary did not get to be the mother of Jesus because she was some upstanding spiritual powerhouse who had committed no sin. No, Mary was the recipient of God's grace, just like you and I just like anyone who calls Jesus Lord, the recipient of God's grace, of God's chorus, of God's favor. And so this word here, it, it means the recipient of this undeserved favor, this recipient of God's grace. Continue on. The angel says to Mary, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What do you mean the Lord's favor is with me? I haven't done anything more religious or upright than any of my peers. What do you mean God's favor? What do you mean God's grace? I I haven't done anything that's more spiritually um, admirable than any of my peers. Why is an angel talking to me? God's favor. She was greatly troubled by this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary.'" For you have found favor, you have found grace, you have found cars with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord of God will give him the throne of David, give him the throne of David, his father. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his king, of, of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and in the sixth month with her um, who was barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, I love Mary's response here. As God comes to her and communicates through the angel Gabriel that he has had favor upon her, she submits herself to Yahweh, the one true God. And she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now let's consider joy for a second. Was Mary's circumstance favorable? A teenage girl pregnant out of wedlock from a small woods small, backtown, woods town, Nazareth. No, Mary, in this culture and in this context, to be an unwed mother, a single mother, to be pregnant out of wedlock would have gotten you ostracized and cast out of the community. And she's supposed to go and tell all of her family and friends and community that she's pregnant with God's baby. Joseph and I didn't sleep together, I promise. This is a miracle baby. Who's going to believe that? Very few people. Mary, this was an unfavorable circumstance for her, worldly speaking. She was looking ahead to a life of poverty, a, a life of loneliness, a life of toil and effort and oppression and being cast aside and forgotten. But remember, the foundation of joy is the gift of God's favor that makes rejoicing possible in otherwise unfavorable circumstances. So Mary had to focus more on what God was doing, what what God was giving her, and God's plan of redemption and God's favor upon her more so than her worldly circumstances. And so Mary goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth. And I actually love, just look at verse 44 as they're visiting. So Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist who would prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah. Mary's pregnant with, with the Messiah, with Jesus. And as they're together, look at verse 44 For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Even John the Baptist in the womb, as Elizabeth got near to Mary, there's something so unique and special about Jesus the Messiah that the baby, John the Baptist, in the womb, the supernatural reaction of joy to Jesus. The Messiah. But then key to this understanding and application of joy is look at how Mary responds. And Mary said, verse 46, this is after she's considered what the angel has said, after, after she's wrestled this through, after she's surrendered herself to God's plan, has received his gift of favor or grace, undeserved favor and grace. Here's her response. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You can only rejoice in God and in circumstances that Mary was in if you understand and you receive the gift of God's grace, the gift of God's favor. See, biblical joy, true joy, lasting joy is a supernatural gift from God that's tied to salvation. It's tied to us receiving God's grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ and knowing that regardless of what happens in this life, we have eternal hope. So therefore, we can rejoice because God is for us. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Again, a very familiar Christmas passage. We've looked at it every week of this Advent series. Let's look at it again. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. You notice a theme there that Mary was afraid. She was filled with fear when the angel showed up. Here the shepherds are afraid. They're filled with fear when the angel shows up because this is some supernatural experience, something out of the ordinary. They don't know how to process it. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. I, I bring you you and Gellion, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it will be great joy for all the people. This, this gift of God's favor, this gift of God's grace is made available to all the people. This good news proclamation about the birth of the Messiah is this good news that that is cast out and and given out to the entire world. And it will bring great joy for all the people who receive this gift of God's favor or God's grace. And they will be able to rejoice. It's possible to find rejoicing regardless of your circumstances if you've received the gift of God's favor or grace. Continue on, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. See, just like hope and just like peace, joy is an inclusive gift offered to all but it's only exclusively experienced by those who would receive this gift. See, the world longs for hope, longs for peace, longs for joy, but over and over again, we're seeing in the scriptures that these these longings of the world are only attained and experienced by those whom God's favor is upon, those who receive the grace of God, the undeserved favor, the unmerited grace of God. Glory to God in the highest, verse 14, the angels are saying, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Verse 10, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. There's this, there's this reality that only those who follow Jesus Christ can experience true, deep, and lasting joy in otherwise unfavorable circumstances. And so if you're a non-believer this morning listening to this live stream, consider your lack of joy consider your lack of satisfaction consider your lack of fulfillment you try and you try and you try and you have a new vacation you have a new success you get a pay raise at work you 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 found that spouse finally or that relationship that you think may lead towards that spouse or or you finally have kids you finally have the house that you want or the remodel that you were longing for and does it satisfy you does it fill you up does it last No, it may give you momentary happiness, momentary satisfaction, but it still leaves you longing for more. And so I would invite you non-Christian to consider finding a deeper sense of joy in Jesus. And Christian, I invite you to remember the gospel truth that in Jesus you have joy, that he is your joy, that the foundation of your joy is the gift of God's favor, which makes rejoicing possible in otherwise unfavorable circumstances. Fill in your blank with something that you've been searching for, longing to find satisfaction and joy in. And it's going to leave you wanting more. And so be reminded that in Jesus we find our joy. That is the foundation. Secondly, let's talk about the function of joy. What does joy do? What is joy for? Well, the function of joy is freedom from experiencing the fears and sorrows of life without joy the function of joy is freedom from experiencing the fears and sorrows of life without joy we all know that we cannot go through life without having fears and experiencing sorrows and 2020 has put a big spotlight on that for all of us whether it's COVID, whether it's the election, whether it's the race riots and tensions and injustice, whether it's your loss, the loss of your own job or the loss of a loved one. We actually have somebody in our church who has died of COVID. We did a, we did a COVID funeral a few months ago. And, and 4,000 plus people have died in Minnesota alone because of COVID. There's people in our church who have lost loved ones, a few people who have lost loved ones because of COVID. I don't share that to scare you. But it's the reality. People are losing a lot right now, and we know that we can't live life without experiencing fear and sorrow. Now, the Bible commands us over and over again, fear not, fear not, fear not. One of the most common commands in the Bible is to not fear. But we know that the human soul and and our flesh fears often, and we carry sorrows and weight. And so the function of joy is to allow us to be able to live our lives and, it, it, and walk through fear and carry sorrows, but to do it with joy. Let's look at this biblically. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Actually, I'm going to start it at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, because this is my, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin for our sake, for your sake, and for my sake. God made Jesus to be sin, to take on our sin. He who knew no sin, he, was, he who was perfect, became our imperfection, took on our imperfection so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's an incredible verse. If you memorize one verse in the entire Bible, I would encourage you to remember that verse. For your sake... Jesus who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. You got the reward of Jesus' righteousness. Amen and amen. I can close the sermon right now. Go reflect on that. That will produce in you joy. But let's keep going. Let's look how the Apostle Paul flows from that gospel truth into 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1-10. through He says, Working together with him, with God, remember, this is what God has just done for us. He's made us one. He's reconciled us to God. He's made us righteous before God. So now that we are redeemed, we're made righteous, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't receive God's favor in vain. If you are a believer, if you put, put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've received God's favor, God's grace, his unmerited favor, his undeserved grace. Don't receive it in vain. Don't take advantage of it and just go do what you want and live your life the way that you want. Don't receive his favor in vain. Paul goes on to say, for he says, and this is a quote from Isaiah, in a favorable time I have listened to you and in the day of salvation I have helped you. We're living in a favorable time, the day of salvation, when Jesus has come and made a way for Jew and Gentile alike to be in the presence of God, with the person of God, favored by God. God. says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. So Paul now, he's, he's reminding them, here's the gospel. Jesus became sin on your behalf so that you might become the righteousness of God. Receive this gift of favor. Receive this gift of grace. Don't take it in vain, don't take it for granted. Now is the time of favor. Now is the time of salvation. You are living as a saint, not a sinner. You are living free. You have joy. And, and, and so now he, he gets into his ministry. He say, "Now that, that truth is settled, keep this in mind, verse three: we have, we have put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, in hardship, in calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness. Paul experienced a lot more than most of us have ever experienced in our life as far as adversity, as far as unfavorable circumstances. Remember how he said that, that um, favor is, that joy is, is the gift of God's favor which makes rejoicing possible in otherwise unfavorable circumstances. The Apostle Paul lived through unfavorable circumstances at a much greater depth than you and I. He was ostracized. He was ridiculed. Look at the words that he shares here in this passage. With great endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings. How many of you have been beaten for your faith? Imprisonments. Imprisonments. How many of you have been thrown in prison for your faith? You may feel like your home is a momentary prison, but it's not because of your faith. No one's telling you that you can't believe in or proclaim or worship Jesus right now. But Paul, this was the case. In in the midst of riots, how many of you observed riots happening this year and you had opinions about them? Paul lived through riots. He was the source of riots because people wanted to kill him because of his gospel message. Labor, sleepless nights, hunger, impurity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. Pick it up in verse 7. By truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true. As known and yet, as unknown and yet well known. The world doesn't get us. They don't know us. I feel unknown. I feel like an alien, like a stranger. And yet I'm known by God. As known and yet, as unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold, we live. As punished and yet not killed. Here's the key. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing as filled with sorrow, as experiencing the fears and the sorrows of life, but with joy. See, the function of joy, the gift of God's grace, of his undeserved favor for us, allows us to experience the fears and the sorrows of life, but with joy. It sets us free. The fears and the sorrows that we experience in life are not eternal. They're temporary. We have something eternal to live for. And so Paul says we can go through all these things, imprisonment, beatings, riots, affliction, hardships. We can feel unknown like strangers and aliens in the world. Yet we can do all of this with joy. You can lose loved ones with joy. You can lose your job with joy. You can lose your freedoms with joy. You can be asked to stay home with joy. Because the foundation of joy is the gift of God's grace, which allows us to rejoice. When we understand that we have God's favor, we can rejoice in unfavorable circumstances. Joy's function is to set us free so that we can walk through this life without clinging on to this life for all that we have. Let's keep going. Let's look at one more passage here as we think about the function of joy. Look at Psalm twenty, Psalm 126, verses 5 through 6. It's just an incredible passage. I was talking with my friend Jordan this week, and we were both talking about joy, and he shared this passage with me, and I thought, I have to put it into this sermon. Psalm 126, verses 5 through th- Through six, it says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. See, over and over again in the Bible, we're told that what we reap, we will sow. If you reap hatred, you will receive hatred. If you practice sexual promiscuity, you will reap the consequences of that sexual promiscuity. If you practice poor financial investment, you will reap the the harvest of your poor financial investment. If you have a bad work ethic, that bad work ethic is gonna come back to bite you in the butt. You're gonna lose a job. You're gonna not get promoted. If If you don't practice good peacemaking skills, you're gonna live in relationships without peace. What you reap, you will sow. Except for in this passage, it's interesting. When it comes to sorrow and joy, God does the supernatural thing that He says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who embrace the sorrows of life, who lament in tears, those who lament the sadness, the brokenness with tears, those who experience the sorrows of life and express it trusting God they will reap in shouts of joy because sorrow is for a moment, but joy is for a lifetime. So the function of joy is freedom from experiencing the fears and the sorrows of life without joy. We cannot avoid the fears and the sorrows of life, but the hope for the Christian is that we can experience fear and sorrow in life with deep, abiding, internal joy as we look to the future. Lastly, let's talk about the fight for joy and to talk about that i want to go to a, a, a psalm that i quote almost weekly here at park community church psalm sixteen, eleven, 11 says you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hands are pleasures forevermore see the reality is that life is a path life is a journey we all know this right Life is not one continual, long, straight line from birth to death. Life is filled with highs and lows. Life is filled with ups and downs. Life is filled with twists and turns. And joy is a choice that we can experience in the journey of life, on the path of life, based on our perspective. See, we all are hardwired for joy, and we either chase it by trying to find our joy in the created things of the world, or we have this deep internal joy because we know that regardless of what we've been given, regardless of what, what hand we've been dealt here in this life, there is joy in the presence of God, fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that place has been promised to us. I'm reading a book right now about St. Augustine, written by J.A. Smith. And he has this this little quote in here. Uh, St. Augustine has this fascinating life of a man who had been to the pinnacle of of the world, right? Like an orator that everybody respected. He was rich. He had whatever he wanted. And he couldn't find satisfaction and, and joy in it. And the, the premise of this book is, is about finding our ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. But this quote, in this book, J.A. Smith is, is talking about the journey and embracing the journey and having this right perspective on the journey. And he says, joy is a choice that has to do with perspective. Joy in the journey, joy, there is joy in the journey precisely when we don't try to make a home out of our car. I'm a road trip guy. I love road trips. I love the journey of a road trip even more than I love the destination. But he's saying there's joy in the journey precisely when we don't try to make a home out of our car. That's true for the Christian. That's true for all created beings that we're on this journey of life. Like the psalmist says, you have made known to me the path of life. All of us are on a path. All of us are on on a journey in life. And the way that you have joy is by being reminded that the, the path of life, the journey of life is not the destination. There's stops along the way. I love in this book, he quotes a song by Jason Isbell. Um, I forget the, name of the, forget the name of the song. I listened to the song. I don't love the song, but I love the lyric where he says that it, there's a straight line. If, if you're flying overhead, there's a straight line from home to Tennessee, but somehow I found all the ditches along the way. Isn't that true? If you have perspective, if you're up in an airplane or even I looked on my Google Maps, it's a pretty straight drive from Minneapolis to Tennessee. From, from, from the up high perspective, pretty straight path. But when you're on the road, the ditches are obvious. There's pit stops and pitfalls along the way. I have to get gas again. I have to stop and go to the bathroom again. There's a semi On this side, in this side of me, am I going to make it? I blew my tire out. Am I ever going to make it to my destination? But from the right perspective, it's straight and narrow. And so, church family, if we want to experience joy, we have to embrace the journey, knowing that God is with us and he's leading us home. That's the only way that we can fight for joy, is by being reminded that this journey, that this experience that we have in life is not meant to fully satisfy us. I love what C.S. Lewis says, "If, if you come to this place where you've tried everything to satisfy the longings of your soul in this world and yet you're unsatisfied, let that be a clue to you that you were made for another world. And so church, I wanna encourage you to embrace the dissatisfaction because you'll be able to find more joy in the current stations and stops and, and pit stops of life without it becoming a pitfall because you know this isn't my ultimate destination. You have made known to me, the psalmist says, the path of life. I can find joy, I can find meaning, I can find life, I can find hope, I can find peace in this life, in the midst of this life's fears and sorrows when I keep in mind that your, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy and you, you are with me each step of the way. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore and I'm being taken home to be with you. And so church, I want to just close out this morning by encouraging you to embrace the journey as you keep your eyes focused on the destination. Jesus offers you joy. So choose joy. Fight for joy day in and day out as you Don't cozy up to the journey. Keep your eyes fixed on the destination and keep the journey, the path of life in perspective. I'm gonna pray and the worship team is gonna come back up and lead us through a song and and just consider the words of the song and how Jesus came to offer you life and joy. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, that you have done what you have done. Lord, I pray that you would give us joy in the journey because we keep our eyes focused on the destination. We love you. Pray that you would have your way in us. In Jesus' name.